So I wanted to talk to Gerald this evening about the past three podcasts and then talk a little bit about uh, Darwin's 200th anniversary and also what Gerald is doing uh, with Darwin at home currently. But after the past three podcasts, have you had the opportunity to listen to all three, Gerald? Yeah, I've listened to them. I can't say I remember absolutely everything. They're, they're quite long, of course. So I'm listening to them in, uh, uh, in, in bits and pieces in the train and stuff like that. And uh, there's a lot of other stuff going on. So I can't remember all the details. You might have to help me with, with this certainly. or that. But, uh, oh, definitely it's interesting to listen to. Yes, I mean, I think that the fascinating thing with regards to the Larry Yeager discussion was a large portion of it was resolved with a short part of the, uh, the Mark Badeau discussion but I mean just to recap with regards to my own sense of the Larry Yeager discussion we spent the first half of the podcast describing what a, an artificial life curriculum would look like what the core of an artificial life curriculum should look like and I know this is a topic that that you and I recorded as well over the Thanksgiving period Gerald but then what I found curious was catching Larry with regards to the idea that then that needed to be converted into a kind of international solution that there were uh, academics the world over teaching artificial life courses which may not have the level of detail that we had even discussed with regards to what Larry believed the core components to be and I think what was interesting was catching Larry in terms of him thinking about this as a kind of broad general problem and then applying it to his own particular instance uh, you know teaching at, at Indiana and the kind of things that he <coughs> needs to do in that capacity and I think that was an interesting part of the problem the idea that we're not just talking about ideals here in terms of what is artificial life, what is the core of artificial life. We're actually dealing with tens, potentially even hundreds of people like Larry that are dealing with you know, the, the rigors of academia in some regard, the politics of academia in another regard, and just the, you know, the, the practical nature of it. And I, I mean, what was your sense with regards to that discussion, Gerald? It was definitely a fascinating discussion because... Uh it was great to hear about uh, you know artificial life actually being used in the academic world and uh, and you know considered to be a, a legitimate uh, study. I was thinking as well. I mean, at the moment, it's not at the stage that uh, other subjects would probably be uh, at because you know when when you have a, a textbook that goes through course materials from uh, you know sort of established course materials from beginning to end. That's the kind of thing that you can sort of work into the earlier years of an undergrad program. But um, artificial life is probably one of those things that are that, that you know you just can't really uh, put together the definitive textbook, at least not right now, and maybe not for quite a while. So it's something that's going to be happening, you know, in the in the grad school and in the the upper years of undergrad. So it's it's not something that'll go into sort of like core curriculum in the same sense, I don't think, unless, you know, somebody's able to really create a, a, a kind of a legit textbook that uh, that the earlier years students could follow. Well, I think this is really the challenge. I mean, in some regard, I disagree with you in terms of the fact that it, there are two ways to look at this cohesion argument. The first is with regards to time, that artificial life is a relatively young discipline, but at the same point it's been relatively scattered. And I think there are certainly a number of counterexamples to that, to things that already exist in textbooks and are already taught to you know, undergraduates, whether it's not its first year or third year, certainly somewhere in the undergraduate stream, that are very contemporary. I mean, I think outside um, the sciences, perhaps in the, the social sciences, 
you know, there's a lot of political science, a lot of economics, a lot of stuff which is really only in the past five to seven years, which is still taught to undergraduates. In the sciences, obviously, there are components of informatics, computer science, and these kind of uh, subjects have a lot of very contemporary and quite scattered uh, components, which I think make artificial life almost look like a, you know, <laughs> a traditional calculus course in some regard. So, I mean, I think there are already counterexamples with regards to the scattershot idea. I'm probably just biased because um, because I studied mathematics. So that's, you know, most of the things you learn are from uh, a goodly number of decades, if not centuries ago. Certainly, certainly. And the second part of it is the idea that, you know, everyone will have a different a different set. And I think what talking with Larry was trying to distill was actually there is quite a solid shared subset that if it isn't in, you know, all artificial life courses currently being taught, it will be in between, you know, 70 and 90% of those taught. And the ones that aren't teaching it probably should. And I think the idea of utility is something that certainly Mark Bedeau understood immediately. The idea that what we would be trying to do in kind of amassing this, uh, this core artificial life curriculum is really providing some assistive means to the academics that were teaching these kind of courses and, as you say, potentially lowering the bar for where these courses could be taught. I mean, we immediately think of what we do in some regard as being, in one sense, on one extreme, obsessive hobbyists the nature of you know model trains or painting or these kind of things but on the other extreme something that has a relatively high level of uh, you know academic rigor or at least some background understanding that's needed to in order to understand certain components of our simulations so we have these two extremes as kind of you know gentlemen hobbyists in some regard but i think the reality is that the the components of what we do are based on things that are already being taught in a wide variety of undergraduate courses but don't have the kind of tuning that we get through artificial life. I mean, I think talking about mathematics, certainly um, uh, nonlinear equations, as I was taught in, you know, second, third and fourth year, are pretty well the bread and butter of, you know, good components of artificial life. And there are certain elements of artificial life where the mathematics is actually improved upon. Certainly when I think of the predator-prey equations, uh, with regards to uh, applied math. The kind of stuff that we do with artificialized simulations if we use predator-prey-like or derive predator-prey equations are in fact produce far more elegant solutions than are typically taught in undergraduate uh, you know, applied math courses that relate to predator-prey equations. So and I think we have some utility that could benefit you know, undergraduate academic teaching outside of what we would normally consider artificial life as being. But, I mean, that's a secondary discussion before we actually get this idea of a textbook together. And I think what was fascinating talking with Mark in particular was that he, maybe more in a philosophical sense, understood the, the utility of not necessarily having a textbook to start off with, but just having a discussion. And I think that's what I'm interested in, in hearing from folks who are teaching artificial life courses, and obviously the International Society is ideally suited for this. But the ability, basically, to collect what the the community folks who may not have ever attended an A-Life conference, who may never have listened to a Biota podcast, who may never have heard of Graytham, who are teaching artificial life courses without any of this kind of exposure, what they are actually teaching as well. And I think this has an amazing outreach 
component to it that Marc Badeau was, you know, very receptive to um, in his appearance on Bio to Live. So that was my discussion, my thoughts with regards to the discussion with Larry, and I think we've talked about, um, you know, the main points that I thought came out of that. I mean, the important thing with someone like Larry is, you know, he's, he's on the ground. He's basically at the point where we need to be constantly communicating and constantly instigating with regards to this aspect, and it's wonderful to have Larry on the, the podcast. I'd like to have him back in the near future to discuss a number of, of issues um, that have come both through the discussion we had with him last time and also other folks in the community want to talk more about algorithms and things like that, and Larry has a lot of time. One question I, that came to me while I was talking to Larry and particularly thinking about what you're doing currently with Darwin at Home I remember um, Justin Lyon talking and people like Robert Bryce and Travis and others talking about hybridizing the kind of core ideas of, of what you were doing in Darwin at Home with something like an overlate brain or um, potentially some of the Scott stuff that Scott Schaefer is doing or these kind of, you know, putting together um, in some regard completely different simulations to try and hybridize a better, um, you know, a better model. Is this something that you're still thinking about? Um, it's it's something that I'm thinking about to the extent that I'm making it extremely possible. But on the other hand, it's something that I'm not thinking about doing. Certainly. It um, does really require another person, doesn't it? I mean, that's the, that's yeah, the critical it, component. It just happens to be, you know, my, my interest is in the, uh, you know, the sort of the physicality of it, the... Um, the, the the actual you know time and, and, and mass and everything physics you know the whole uh, the whole uh, and and the um, you know development of sort of muscular abilities and 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 you know not even I'm not even terribly interested in uh, in sensor abilities what what I'm actually trying to do with this game idea is to completely delegate all of that you know, from from perception to strategy delegate all of that to the to the people who log in, which is also a little more interesting for them because then they get to do more things. And I, I get to focus on, the, um, you know, making sure that the, um, that the physicality of it evolves uh, appropriately. And uh, in a way, you know, you could say this is, this is perfectly opening the door for something like uh, Scott Schaefer's stuff or, uh, or whatever else, some other, uh, some other brain simulation. To just sort of, you know, become the puppeteer because um, I really only want to develop the puppets in a sense. Certainly, certainly. Well, speaking from the ideal to the to the real world, I think the discussion with Zan Gill raised. In fact, ironically, Zan and I did more communicating after our Bio Live discussion than we did through the Bio Live discussion. Particularly when Zan was able to to read about uh, Freeman Dyson's. Um, analysis with regards to computational simulation associated with uh, global warming. But I think it's interesting because I was also um, communicating with Bonnie DeVarco uh, with regards to these same problems. I like the idea of the world game in terms of a, a metaphor for what people like Justin Lyon are, are, are trying to do with, with Simudyne. But I think the criticism with regards to it mapping onto reality, and particularly Freeman Dyson's very dry way of saying, you know, all that simulation does is reinforce what we know. It doesn't reinforce what we don't know, is an interesting criticism with regards to the world game hypothesis. As you listened to the Zangil discussion, did you, did you get that sense? Or, I mean, what was your feeling with regards to that 
discussion? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've been a, a, a Fuller fan for, for a long time, although more the um, you know, sort of scientific or philosophical or whatever uh, aspect of his stuff rather than uh, the, you know, the political world game uh, idea. But, uh, no, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, I think that, uh, the idea of world game is, is I'm, I'm still convinced that it's uh, one of those things that should be sort of real core curriculum. We're talking secondary school. People should be playing world game at every secondary school on a weekly basis. You know, that's that's the kind of uh, that's the kind of scrambling I think we need in this, these times because uh, things are getting a little strange. My concern with regards to the world game hypothesis is it just reinforces our own, you know, particular uh, views. I mean, it, it is based purely on the people that are participating in the world game, and in the case of the artificial life simulation, the the environments which are constructed. It's a it's an exercise, you know. It's like a, it's inaccurate, but it's like a, a group session or something you know every the i think the idea of world game is that people take on roles so uh, you'd be uh, you'd be forced to take on the role of someone from a particular part of the planet and you'd be forced to study what their life is like and uh, and try to see the world from their point of view and then uh, you know i think that's it's more like a role playing game than uh, and, and something that you can really learn from than you know, something that just is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everybody there will take their prejudices along. I think the idea is to open minds. So in terms of the, the paradigm of, of world game is what Justin Lyon is trying to do with Simudine. The example that I gave was with regards to um, low or no income uh, healthcare coverage in the US. Do you see that that is a, a potential you know, world game problem that could net a solution? I'm not. I, I don't know enough about world game to to know if that's. I mean, you have to be able to facilitate one of those uh, sort of sessions. I think probably Bonnie would be much more uh, versed in that sort of thing. The challenge, which is what I I put back to Justin specifically, is that the entities which exist within the uh, the power component associated with the problem are in constantly kind of reinforcing. Uh, positions. There is no notion of the common good or even the poor or low or no income with regards to any of the components that exist in the in the real world associated with the U.S. health system. And I think in these kind of situations, we need to have almost a a, a metalogic, a, a meta strategy, or really a, a philosophy of simulation that is able to overcome these kind of problems. I think one of the uh, one of the philosophical aspects of world game, if I'm not mistaken, I mean I don't know enough about it really. I haven't read uh, specifically too much about it, but I think uh, you know Fuller was uh, was the, the person who used the word or the prefix omni, uh, you know, more than more than is uh, you know humanly possible. The word the, the prefix omni appeared zillions of times in his in his book. So I, I would imagine that the world game is structured such that. It only makes sense if you do the entire world in a session. You know, you just got to have the uh, the whole uh, the whole world projected onto the floor and and everybody playing their roles. So it, it wouldn't be applicable to anything except the whole. Right. So it's in fact a very bad model for uh, finding solutions in the real world to specific problems. Then. 
Yeah, well, in a sense. I mean, you're not going to get into very specifics, but I think it's more something you can really learn from at a, you know, at a, for adolescence or something like that. And, and for later on, uh, it's kind of a, a, a workshop theme or something like that, I suppose. So in terms of the kind of problems that Justin Lyon frames in Simeodine, I mean, the low or no income healthcare coverage in the U.S., I mean, do you see that artificial life could pose solutions to these kind of problems? I don't see it now, but uh, that's, uh, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know. This is, uh, is this on the Simidan site? Uh, this is an example that Justin gave in a discussion. He also gave one with regards to uh, mineral resources. But I, I think the low, no-income healthcare one is one that I feel particularly passionately about because I think it actually provides a challenge which ultimately, if we can move past the um, I, I don't think Freeman Dyson is being nasty when he makes his um, when he makes his against claims I think what he wants is to motivate uh, folks such as ourselves uh, to do things a little bit better I feel the same way to a certain extent with regards to uh, Briggs Plyce's Panspermian Challenge but I do tend to read these people with the, the best possible reading but I think honestly from Freeman Dyson's background really what he is trying to do is just instigate better simulations from us and that really requires some kind of, uh, I don't know, I mean, I, I would like to see it in a kind of philosophical context, that's my own bias, but perhaps a, a new science or a new kind of means of, of dealing with these kind of problems which also somehow encompass what we don't know or maybe the, the unknown uh, within our simulation in a better or more meaningful way. So, I mean, perhaps that's part of the challenge. I certainly feel people like Zan and, and Bonnie, uh, having come from almost a very ideal uh, perspective with regards to these kind of problems can be brought very quickly into the into the real-world nature of the stuff that folks such as Justin are doing, and ideally the kind of stuff I'd like to see artificial life doing more proactively. Um, but it does require certain kinds of framing problems like the um, low-no-income um, healthcare problem in order to show that these are real-world issues. I mean, certainly when Sam talks about environmental issues, um, my reference is always with regards to junk science, it's with regards to petroleum, it's with regards to these kind of industries which constantly pump misinformation out and constantly, you know, do the classic fear, uncertainty, doubt uh, components, which is obviously analogous with regards to, um, you know, creationism et al. as well. So, I mean, I think there are shared themes through this, but it's the, we need thinkers such as Zan and Bonnie and people such as yourself to, to move it into a, a, a different realm in terms of all our collective thinking. Um, and I think that was the challenge that I really posed to Zan, and she seems to have now really kind of, to use a Bruce Damerism, grokked it perfectly. So I'm looking forward to when Zan comes uh, back on. I think Bonnie will be on with her, and I hope you can come on as well, and we can talk about all of this in a, you know, in a more real-world context.